Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. This week uh, we have another in our occasional series of meeting the Church Society parishes. Uh, This time we have a particularly exciting one. I think this is our only Church Society parish which is not in the UK. There we go, I say that because I know we have some in peculiar places, but I think this is the only one that is not in the UK. Uh, so uh, in a moment, I will introduce you uh, to Stephen Walton and he will he will tell you where he is. I just want to let you know before um, we get started with the interview, there were uh, a couple of technical issues uh, with the recording of this. Um, in particular, you may notice uh, that Stephen's voice changes halfway through. His voice doesn't change. The, the recording changes. Um, I apologise. I hope um, uh, you are still able to listen uh, and hear uh, everything that he's saying. Um, there's some really fabulous stuff about what's going on in his church, uh, but also I was fascinated uh, as he told me about the history uh, of his church. So here we go. So I am talking this week to Stephen Walton. Stephen, tell us uh, where you minister. I'm at Christchurch Dusseldorf, which is in the northwest of Germany, Nordrhein-Westfalen. I'll, I'll nod like I know where that is. As the crow flies, it's more or less the nearest German city to England. So. Okay, fine. Northwest fine. of Germany. And um, that is an Anglican church in Germany. Just tell us how that works. You're part of the Diocese of Europe? That's the Diocese in Europe, so our bishop is the Bishop of Gibraltar in Europe, although he lives in Brussels, Um, (laughs) and we're the Dean of Germany, so the Dean is rather larger than you would have in England. So you're not having regular deanery synods, I guess? The the Dean meets once a year and and chapter twice a year. Okay, wow. And um, just give us an idea for those of us uh, who, who don't really know what sort of place is Dusseldorf? How big is it? What sort of people are there? How, it's a city. It's a city of about six hundred thousand people. Um, it's right on the banks of the Rhine. In fact, our this uh, the church building our house is is literally on the bank of the Rhine. It's about uh, fifty meters to my my right, a hundred meters to my right. Um, it's mainly white collar jobs here. Um, there is some heavy industry on the south side of the city, Bayer. The huge chemical and pharmaceutical place have enormous works there, where some of our, our people work there. Um, it's a very international city. It has one of the largest Japanese communities in the world. So if people like sushi, this is the place to come. Um, and cos- uh, well, It's an, more convenient than Japan. A, an enormous cosplay convention happened a couple of weeks ago in the park next to our house, which was interesting. Wow. So, um, I bet. I bet. Okay. Very interesting sort of place. And so, um, just to explain, we, you said that you're in the, the deanery of Germany. Does, in the diocese in Europe, do you have a parish? Um, what, what is, where are you responsible for? We, we have a chaplaincy. So my, my title is, my, my official title is chaplain, or that's a bit misleading. I'm not really like a, a military or hospital chaplain. I, I am the pastor of a church, and most of the time I get called pastor, father. Um, we, we don't have a clearly defined area. Um, that we look after. Um, it, it's basically the northern half of Nordrhein-Westfalen, which is the, the, the German state here. So the next, the nearest Anglican church, or nearest Church of England church to us, is in Boncologne, which is about half an hour away, 
by yeah. train or car. And then to the north of us, the nearest one is Hamburg, which is a good three or four, three or four hours drive away. Right. So if people were really looking for an Anglican church, some of them might have to travel quite away. They would. Um, uh, but ne- not necessarily, obviously, everybody uh, would go to an Anglican church, which kind of brings me on to my next question. What sort of people come to your church? Um, do you have services? Uh, are they all in English? Do you have services in German? All our services are in English, although I would love to do some more work in German. Unfortunately, my German isn't good enough to preach in. Um, which is a bit of a problem. If I could get somebody who could preach in German, it would be great to do that. Um, we have a great mix of people who come here. Brits, obviously, Americans. We get Germans who are married to British because there were a lot of German troops in this area and you know, some of them met a local girl and, and settled down. Um, increasingly large numbers of Nigerians come here. There's a big Nigerian community in Dusseldorf, especially Igbo, who are from the southeast of Nigeria and are very Christian. People from India, quite a few families from India come here Wow! and we get scatterings of people from uh, Chile, um, various bits of Eastern Europe and Scandinavia, um, Uganda, Kenya, um, uh, Chinese. Not necessarily people then whose first language is English but maybe their English is a bit better than their German? Often their second language is English and their third language will be German. Um, right. And their fourth language will be Kikuyu or Telugu or whatever. Sure. Wow. And and therefore, I guess, also not necessarily uh, Anglican, but... No, not at all. I mean, some, often the, the Igbo from Nigeria, um, being Anglican is very strongly part of their identity. We have other people coming from places like the Lebanon or, or wherever that... Um, Although they're very definitely evangelical, very definitely Christian, being Anglican isn't part of their identity. And coming to an Anglican mm. church is something quite new for them. So just describe what that feels like on a Sunday. What In your services, what kind of services do you have? Are they very strictly common worship or BCP? Or, yeah, how do you hold all of that together? It's, we have people who think we are far too heavy liturgically. I have far too much liturgy. Um, we have other people who think, especially Anglicans who come from outside, that we're not nearly liturgical enough, which suggests to me we've probably got, got it about right. Um, we have a simpler... What we use is basically the um, uh, common worship service of the word or quite similar to the, the family service in an English prayer book. That's why I use some of that as well. Okay. Okay, um, and do you have a real mix of people of all ages? and Fairly young. We don't have many elderly people. We get a lot of people who are in Dusseldorf for two, three years to study or to work, and then they'll move on, and they might work might move them to another part of the world for mm. three years. So quite a transient congregation. So we had, we had a lovely Indian couple here for two years who we were newly married, and we thought, oh, great, they'll do lots with the, with the kids and the young people. And But he just got his doctorate a couple of weeks ago, so a week ago they, they moved to Texas to study. Of course. Of course they did. And so um, I guess that's that's one of the challenges of, of doing ministry there, is working with never quite knowing who you've got or how long they're there. Um just, um, yeah, go, give us an idea of, of what sort of things go on in the church. How, how many people do you have in your church? We'll get about 60 or 70 adults on a Sunday and 20, 25 children and young people. 
Okay, and you have stuff going on midweek as well? We have home groups going on midweek. Um, doing mid- midweek stuff is a challenge, because our people are very spread out. Mm. Um, some will travel at least an hour or more to get here on a Sunday. So, right, so, so getting people together in, in the week is, is difficult. But we're, we're beefing up the existing home groups, starting new home groups at the moment. And looking at the autumn of starting an evening service for people oh, who work shifts and can't come in the morning. So. Yeah, wonderful. And so what is the, the history of, of Christchurch? How does there come to be an Anglican chaplaincy there? And how does it come to be associated with church society? Uh, well, we, in one form or another, we've been here since the 1850s. Um, yeah. It began with a man called William Mulvaney, who was uh, an Irishman, Anglo-Irish from Dublin. And like many Church of Ireland people at that time, was very staunchly Protestant, the sort of tradition that produced T.C. Hammond and these people. And he came out to Germany in the, in the 1850s, just as coal mining was opening in the Ruhr Valley. He was a, an engineer. Um, he specialised in water pumping and drainage systems. And he started a company pumping that specialised in pumping the water out of mines. He prospered. He ended up as a multimillionaire. Um, owning at least three coal mines called Hibernia, oh. Shamrock and Erin in honour of his, his Irish roots. Great entrepreneur, helped found the first German stock exchange. Um, big, he killed the city fathers. If all his plans had come to fruition, Dusseldorf would have been the biggest river port in Europe. Wow. Um, but he, he was a Christian and he was bringing over um, from England, especially from the Durham coal fields, a lot of skilled miners and engineers to work in his mines because the techniques they were using there were at that time more advanced in Germany. So he was concerned for the souls of these men and for their families who were coming over with them. And out of his own pocket, he paid for chaplains, basically missionaries, to work among the miners. And we think at one point they were leading worship in about 50 centres across the Ruhr in Dusseldorf. And then he died in 1894-5, I can't remember the exact date. And in his will, he left the money to start an English church in, in Dusseldorf. And that was built in the grounds of his mansion, which at that time was in the edge of fields. Now it's in the, it would be in the city centre. As his daughter, Annabelle, who was the co-founder, put that into practice. And the first Christchurch opened on Christmas Day, 1900. Amazing. Um, the story then is, of course, it, it closed for obvious reasons in 1914. Okay, yeah. We opened after the First World War, again closed in 1939, and was then in 1943 destroyed in an air raid. Uh, we, blame, okay. we blame the Canadians at the moment. Apparently yeah, the, what, I think that's it, it was the Royal Canadian Air Force that apparently blew it up, which the Germans find okay. hilarious. Um, there, um, and then after the war, uh, there's, there's a, we've got the Nord Park, which is a, a lovely park on the north side of the city. And that was used as a camp for English troops, and it's still known as, as part of it as the England of Visa, the English Meadow. And um, it was decided to reopen the church, reopen Christ Church for um, the, the the troops and their families. Amazing. So our present building was opened um, 1953, all built by the Royal Engineers. And it was really it was an army church up to the 1980s, uh, yeah. when the the army pulled out of Dusseldorf and handed over to civilian control and it was really an expat church up to about 12 years ago and over the past 12 years it shifted to being um, uh, uh, an international church. Amazing. You, you asked about church society. 
Yeah, when did we get involved? Well, this is... I'm, I'm holding up to the camera. People listening can't see this. This is the will, of, or codicil to the will of Annabelle Mulvaney, the, the co-founder. Right. It, to be honest, was a right old battle axe. But this is this is the the codicil to her will, dated 1909. It says, um, I declare that my desires that the minister of Christ at Dusseldorf and my said will mentioned above should be ordained minister of the established Church of England. But in the event of the said Church of England being disestablished, of the chasuble or mass vestments being legalised therein, or of any alterations being made in the prayer book or laws of the said Church, which in the opinion of the Church Association Trust, the forerunner of Church Society, yeah, yeah. or the other trustees of the time of my said will, may be of a Romish or ritualistic character, the said Church Association Trust shall continue the minister of the said Christ Church as such minister and chaplain, whether he obtains a bishop's licence or not, and for the future from and after any such disestablishment or change in the law as aforesaid, shall be at liberty to appoint any person they in their absolute discretion shall think fit to be minister and chaplain of Christ Church aforesaid. Um, whether ordained minister of the church or not, whether licensed by a bishop or not, provided always that the Protestant and evangelical principles of the Church of England, as defined in the Church Association Declaration of my said will, mentioned, shall be strictly and faithfully preached and taught in the said Christ Church forever. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. So the whole Church of England could go to hell in a handbasket and we would still have to give you an evangelical man whether they were a church England or not. And very wisely, she put the patronage in the hands of the Church Association, which became, yes, of course, Church Society. which a few years later became the Church Society. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, what a, what a, uh, um, yes, I can imagine battle acts, but also brilliantly foresighted. She, she was not going to assume the Church of England was always going to carry on the way uh, it was, and, and so made as much provision as she could uh, to protect the... I, I the think church, she and her father the foresaw some of the problems we have now in the Church of England. Well, no doubt. And, you know, if he was there um, in the, the sort of 19th century with the, the rise of um, the Tractarian movement and the Ritualist movement at that time, you know, they they would, of course, have doubts. And um, that I, I think that is absolutely fabulous. Um, and has it always had... Um, real evangelical ministry yes for most of its history it's had quite a, a checkered history that a, a, a lot of the chaplains of any state of a short time right. so it's always had that problem my, my predecessor Stephen Seymour was here for I think eight years and he was one of the longest serving chaplains and okay. he did a, an amazing work here in making sure it stuck to its evangelical roots in building it up in, in yeah. encouraging new people and fantastic job so regular listeners to the podcast may remember a little while ago, I talked to Roy and Yoka Ball, um, who ministered in the Diocese in Europe in many years. Um, and in their retirement, one of the places that they have come and helped, um, I think maybe during the interregnum before you arrived, um, was, was Christchurch Düsseldorf uh, uh, as well. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's nice to know that there's been that sort of uh, evangelical ministry going on there. And I know they were very delighted uh, when you were appointed um, that that was going to continue. Um, so how long have you been there now? Four years, almost Stephen? exactly. It was, I think last week was the anniversary of my first. Um, so four years. I don't know whether you're still in the honeymoon no, period or yeah. not uh, at that point, whether you're sort of moving beyond that. What have been the encouragements and the challenges uh, that well, time. both an encouragement and a challenge. We um, we hadn't actually quite realised before we came how much it was an international church. Uh, it, it's got more so. 
In fact, a few um a few weeks ago, my, my wife did the Bible reading in the service, and when she she came down, had lunch after, she said, "Please, Steve, you've got an African church." Um, which you know, I, I grew up in a, a little town in the west of Cornwall, where out of about twenty five thousand people, there were there were two children in the whole town who were black. I I never got to play with anybody from Africa when I was a child, and then my children get to play with people from all over the world, which is a wonderful, wonderful, really wonderful. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and that that brings its challenges as well. That people come from very different backgrounds and have have very different expectations. And when we've been here for five or six months, the refugee crisis hit. Right. And we suddenly found we had um, nearly a thousand refugees living in a camp uh, about a quarter of a mile away. And we have, over the past few years, baptized um, six Iranian Muslims. How wonderful! The challenge has been holding on to them and discipling them. We've got two, maybe three, who have really stuck with it and stayed with us. Part of the trouble is the German refugee system moves people around the country if they can find work. But we have had we've 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 two lads who have really stuck with it and and are, are growing wonderfully in their faith. I heard them pray out loud in a prayer meeting the other day. Which I mean, that's, that's just delightful, isn't it? And sort of almost the more so because unexpected. That's not what you thought you were going to be getting in this church and then God brings the, the whole world to your doorstep in that way. Um, what other things uh, have been encouragements or um, opportunities for you that you've seen? Very, a very good encouraging supportive church council. Um, a great meeting last night just talking about how we can further evangelism and what more we can do in the autumn. Um, they're very patient with my mistakes. They're, they're great people. Yeah. So. That's really good. It's it's rare when I ask someone that question that they say, well, actually, one of the real encouragements is my PCC or my church council. That's really great to hear. And what would be your sort of hopes and dreams for the church in the future? Um, you know, for you to come back in, I don't know, 10 years time, what would you love to see have changed or developed or, or grown? Or I would love to see growth in people becoming Christian. Um, we're fairly static in numbers at the moment, and most of our new people who come are already Christians, they've moved here to work, they Google English church, and, and they find us that way. But we don't, have, we don't have much direct evangelism at the moment, we don't have many people becoming Christians, and that's what I'd like to see growth in. Great. And so um, we do pray, obviously, for our, our church society parishes. We, we um, try and put information in our prayer diary uh, every so often, but there's not a lot of space for much detail. So this is your chance um, to give us some, some more uh, detailed of things uh, that we can be praying for you or giving thanks for, for you and for the church and for the ministry in Dusseldorf generally. Um, pray for the work of evangelism, that the more will be done, the people will become Christians here. Um, pray that we'll have more long-term members of the church, because it is a challenge, people are in here for a short time, and we, we lack some of the people who are here, who are living here long-term, and provide a backbone for the church. And pray for our, our youth and children's work, we're doing a lot of thinking about that at the moment about how it's done, about how we recruit and train leaders. It, it, it's a challenge for us. So please pray mm. for that. Great. Thank you so much for talking to us. Um, and we will certainly be praying uh, those things for you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm sure you can tell I was really blown away by the way in which um, 
that had been set up at Christchurch Düsseldorf and with so much thought given and consideration to the future uh, succession of ministry in that church. And that's something that I think all churches need to be paying attention to. Not everyone is in the position of being able to set up a chaplaincy like that and to establish um, all of those kind of rules for the future of ministry. But nonetheless, there are things which most parishes can be considering, uh, not just in terms of getting good gospel ministry in their churches now, but also thinking about how they can guard that as well as possible for the future. If that's something that perhaps you've never thought about at your church, maybe you're on the PCC uh, and you know that you've never really had a conversation about that, do have a word um, with your vicar, uh, ask him uh, what what he has thought about with respect to uh, future ministry after he's gone. Even simple things like being prepared now with a parish profile. You know, it's not that your vicar necessarily is thinking about moving on or is likely to move on very soon, but the uh, working on a parish profile uh, before he leaves, uh, whenever that might be, and we don't know uh, in the Lord's timing when that might be, means that uh, you have a, the best chance possible uh, of getting something uh, written that will be clear and uh, make it clear to those who need to know that you're looking for another gospel minister, another faithful evangelical minister in your congregation. So thinking about parish profile, uh, but also thinking uh, about patronage. Now, um, there are different situations here. You may be uh, somewhere where your patron is never going to change. Uh, if your patron is the bishop, for example, they're extremely unlikely uh, to give up their patronage. But it's worth inquiring, who is your patron? What is the situation? How um, are they set up to ensure that uh, the process for the appointment of future incumbents uh, will lead to good gospel ministers. Um, particularly if you're in the case where the patron is an individual or a very small trust, it may well be that they're not best placed to ensure that kind of succession. And you might want to start thinking uh, about the process of, of transferring patronage. Um, you might want to go and listen again to the podcast that I did a few weeks ago with Martin Young over in um, Norwich, who talked a little bit about how his church has recently changed patronage and, in fact, just recently become a, a church society trust parish uh, where we are the patrons. Um, so thinking about what you can be doing now in terms of parish profile and thinking about what you can be doing in terms of the future with respect to patronage, um, to be doing what we can to ensure that the good deposit is passed on to future generations uh, in our parishes, in our churches, uh, in our places. We'll be back uh, with the podcast next week. That will be our last podcast for the summer. We're taking a little break uh, over the summer, uh, which will give you a chance uh, perhaps to catch up on some episodes that you've missed uh, earlier the year. in the year. Uh, we'll be back uh, with the podcast as usual, regularly from September. And next week, uh, I'll be talking to some of the women who have been studying on the Priscilla programme uh, over the past year, finding out uh, who they are and what that experience has been like for them. Uh, so do tune in again to hear more about that next week. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>